Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today for the first time in a long time by the usual suspects. First, all the way up in Northern Virginia, we have the newly married man, Mike McDaniel. Mike, why haven't you changed your last name to Vosia? Um, I don't think that's how it works in Western culture. Wow, you... You can't say that. Can I say that? <laughs> no? All right. Cancel. On the other <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, no. Mike, congratulations, my friend. I had a blast at your wedding. It was a uh, it was a hell of a time, and I'm, I'm super happy for you. Super happy that you got the chance to go out to Hawaii, and super happy that you're back here on the podcast with us. Us being me and all the way in the 757, the one, the only, Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, I see you've been doing podcasts with other people. You're like a Joe Rogan-style guest now. How's the fame treating you? <laughs> I don't know about all that, but no, nah, it's been fun. Um, got to do a podcast with a, a good buddy of mine. I've known him since, God, I was like 12 years old. So being able to fire that up, being able to fire this back up. I have a podcast at work that we're starting here in the next couple months. Um Things are things are looking up for sure. So and it's right around the right time, right? We're in July. Season will be in terms of you know summer camp will be starting up here in a few weeks. So this is this is about the time when things start to start to get hot and um, both figuratively and literally. Yeah, no, you know, quite quite literally, it, it is rather hot here in beautiful downtown Blacksburg, Virginia. And for those of you that missed us, we apologize. It's been a crazy busy time for all of us, obviously. Mike got married. I, Ricky is working on his new job. I have just been cooped up in Blacksburg for so long because of COVID that I spent the last month and a half as just a traveling soldier, just going everywhere and anywhere to a couch where a Virginia Tech friend might have me to go check out a sporting event to, to catch up with people who I haven't seen in a long time because we haven't seen people in a long time and it's been awesome. But luckily, as things wind down, as we start to accept the reality of our post-COVID lives, it, it, it highlights the fact that what we've been waiting for all along is right around the corner, and that is a packed lane stadium. So for the remainder of summer into the fall, into the winter, we will be doing what we do best, talking Hokies, giving our opinions, giving our analysis, and, and, and we couldn't do it without our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, my friends. Look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Katz, our man, and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. So folks, 
We got to get started on, I guess, what is the most recent topic in the world of hokey football, and that is transfers on the way out. Yes, the transfer portal giveth. The transfer portal, it seems like more often than not recently, taketh away. And for a 2020 class that we know, as Virginia Tech fans, as anyone who has somewhat of an eye on the program, was underwhelming. Yes, Virginia Tech ranked 76th nationally that year, but some of you may recall that there was a push at the end that gave some fans the opportunity to exhale to a degree, and that was highlighted by what was known at the time as the TX2VT moment. It was the signings of Alec Bryant, a four-star defensive end out of Texas, as well as Robert Wooten, a high three-star. There was also Tyree Sanders and Justin Beatles. But here I sit on July 14th, 2021, and all four of those young gentlemen have transferred out of the Virginia Tech program. It, it, it is, uh, I guess, confusing in a sense, especially given the vagueness of the statements that were made by Bryant and Wooten. So I'm going to ask you, Mike, because you seem like you're cued in. You can't take a honeymoon without looking at Twitter. Tell me, what do you know about the Bryant and Wooten transfers is there any information? And more importantly, what does this mean to Virginia Tech's depth at defensive end? There have been a lot of rumors, but the, the basics of it is that this was outside of the football program and athletic department's purview as far as decision-making was concerned. Um, it seems like Bryant and Wooten were going to be facing some sort of suspension from school Um for a period of time. Um, there have been various rumors thrown around. I heard one semester, um, it could have been a year. I don't know all the specifics, but it wasn't looking good. They were not going to be able to suit up for Virginia Tech this fall. And it's better off for the both of them to move on, as they said in their statements, and had nothing to do with a decision made by the coaching staff or um, the player's decision, I guess, to get away from a situation within the football program. It seems like it was a university issue that they were trying to navigate. So that's about as much as I know. A lot of stuff, you know, resides at Burris and kind of stays there. But those were the rumors that have been floating around anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really concerned about why they're gone. Um, it's it's relevant to an extent, but ultimately it's not what matters what matters is um, Tech's class of 2020, which, I mean, we ridiculed quite heavily on the podcast. I know I did on Twitter and on here and in writing. Um, this class was not very good, uh, and it has just gotten worse since they all came on campus. Alec Bryant, Robert Wooten, the top two prospects are gone. Tyree Saunders, somebody that we thought may challenge for playing time right away, gone. Justin Beatles, uh, the third um, and only defensive end in that class that's left because Darrell Bailey is now, uh, I believe, moving to offense. Um, Justin Beatles is gone. He's at Houston. So you look at this class now, and there's no way around it that it's just not good. Uh, they're apparently trying to move uh, – Panay to defensive end. We'll see how that goes. But um, the, the issue that, that really comes out of this is that, A, you have no depth at, de at defensive end. Um, all of those guys were supposed to be able to play roles in the two deep potentially this year. 
um, definitely in 2022, and you lose all three of those guys. Uh, and all that's going to mean is all of the players that they have signed to play at that position after that, um, they're all going to have to step up when they're really not ready. So guys like Matthias Carroll, he may have to step up when he's not ready. Cole Nelson, same boat. Um, these guys are going to be asked to contribute a bit early on um, than they should. And that's not what good programs do. And the thing that concerns me too with that is that Virginia Tech, you know, when looking at the defensive ends they have there now, I mean, look, Barno was really good last year. I expect him to be very good this coming year after, you know, a full off season. And, and he's not going to stick around. And he's not going to stick around. I mean, he's going to be he's going to be gone after the season to the league because he's six six and really athletic, and he's going to have an opportunity to play at the next level, which is a good pro. I, that's good. Um, but on the other side, it's a mixture of Emmanuel Belmar and Taiwan Garbutt, both of whom have battled injury issues historically. And when you have guys who can't be relied upon to play uh, a significant role because they're injured or off the field for a period of time the depth becomes even more important. And now that you don't have that depth, especially with Wooten and Bryant, who are actually starting to make their way into the two deep, starting to work, um, work themselves in a little bit, even last year, you know, they were going to have a role on the roster this year. And the fact that they're not able to, and you have Beatles, another guy who was expected to play, um, like Ricky said, within the two deep, or at least compete for a two deep spot and, and play a, a role, probably a pretty significant one over the next couple of years, when you lose that depth and then you have starters or guys that are going to play a lot of snaps who can't stay on the field because they're frequently injured, it becomes an even bigger problem when you don't have the depth there. So that's my biggest takeaway from it too. Yes, boys, it's certainly a cause for concern. Ricky, I, I definitely sympathize with your point that it doesn't matter what the reasoning is because as much as the hardcore detractors, the anti-foo crew, as we call them, will try to point at this and be like, oh, well, this is just one day's fault, blah, blah, blah. And whether it is or not, it doesn't matter because ultimately at the bottom line of it all, it's going to impact Justin Fuente's chances of achieving some form of sustained success at Virginia Tech. We don't even need sustained success if we're Justin Fuente. We need immediate success. And the lack of depth there is certainly uh, concerning and Again, you have a guy in Amari Barna who you pray he doesn't get hurt because he is going to be the centerpiece of this defense come 2021. As you mentioned, Michael, he is a guy that is probably Virginia Tech's best chance for a, a first or second round draft pick next year. It depends on how highly you think of James Mitchell, I suppose. But I don't think either of those guys are first or second round picks at the moment. I think they're probably midday or excuse me, mid-draft guys um but the the issue that that we're going to run into here is that while tech is is seeming to turn things around and i put seeming in giant air quotes because recruiting has become such a damn crapshoot now um tech is it, it looks like tech is trying to is starting to turn the corner in their recruiting efforts but i don't think they're going to be able to turn that corner quickly enough to backfill all of the losses and all of the misses that we've seen over the last, what, two to three seasons. And ultimately that is what's going to put Justin Fuente on the ropes because the fan base is already 
you know, split on him being the coach. And it's not an easy schedule this year. Um, he's got a, an unproven quarterback. He's got very little depth at some serious position groups. So things have a potential to spiral out of control very quickly. And that's because we've seen way too many recruiting misses and evaluate and, and evaluation misses over the last three, the last, what, three, three plus years. Yeah. And the, the thing, the thing about that too, is that Justin Fuente and his staff, it's great that they're seemingly turning things around on the recruiting trail and it had to happen. But the only way that this ends up ultimately mattering to this current staff is if the team performs this fall, because if the mm-hmm. team doesn't perform this fall, there's a pretty high likelihood that Whit Babcock could make a change. And it's great that they're recruiting well, but it only matters if they perform on the field because as we've seen guys, both areas have now slipped. It's not just the on-field production or just the recruiting. It's been both um, to only win. Now I understand last year was a weird year with COVID. A lot of teams went through it. It was a hard year. Tech got hit especially hard on the defensive side of the ball and had a really tough go of it um, with guys that they lost, first-year defensive coordinator, all that stuff. They were playing a walk-on safety for the first month of the season. It was not It was not good, right? It was not a good situation. But Virginia Tech was expected to win more than five games last year. And the facts are that Justin Fuente has now authored two losing seasons in the past three years. And those are the first two losing seasons that Virginia Tech's had in over two decades. So something's got to change. And we knew it had to change on the recruiting trail when the class of 2020 didn't pan out that we've been talking about here on the podcast so far. We knew that recruiting had to get better. It got a little bit better last year. They're doing a nice job on the recruiting trail so far this year, but again, we're early in the cycle and there's a whole football season that still needs to be played before these kids sign. So there are a lot of elements at work here outside of just recruiting, Um, you know, on-field production absolutely needs to get better because if Justin Fuente doesn't win eight, maybe nine games this year, I think he's going to be in trouble. Yeah. And there's a certain irony to this, right? Because of, of the staff taking somewhat of a reset one might say, because as you mentioned, Mike, it doesn't matter if they don't perform immediately, it doesn't matter. And even if they do perform, I don't know how much of a leash is going to be allowed to him. Even one, two seasons down the line. It's he had the inverse of what a coach like Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia has Mendenhall inherited a struggling program struggled, but has progressively gotten better. Maybe you can argue and we'll see what happens this year. They're leveling out a little bit. I don't know. But Fuente, with his strong start, everything was howdy doody. This guy seemed to be the heir apparent, as I have mentioned probably a hundred freaking times on this podcast, that people were writing articles at the national level about how Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech is the book that was written about how to replace the legend, how to keep things streamlined in the right direction. And that obviously, come 2018, come 2020, was not the case. So if you're Justin Fuente, yes, you're turning the corner, but you have a 2020 class that is void of their top four recruits in the class, in a class that wasn't particularly strong, at least on paper to begin with. Now, credit to him, guys like Dorian, Dorian, not maybe credit to him, but credit to the coaching staff, guys like Dorian Strong and Keonta Jenkins have 
emerged as players that might be outperforming that star ranking. And that's a good thing. And I think that you mentioned this on the radio with me yesterday, Mike, this cornerback group, this defensive back group is going to be a, a stronger portion of the Virginia Tech defense. But with that being said, say a guy like Barno goes down and, and you have a defensive end and anyone who has been a fan of a football team for any amount of time knows that talent at the edge rush position changes your team. It shuts down an entire side of the field. It terrorizes quarterback. It, it, it's the difference between the haves and the have nots a lot of the time. Ricky and I are both fans of, of our beloved Washington football team. And we saw, and well, Ricky, if you're not a fan anymore, take down that Clinton Portis fat head. <laughs> you're a fan as long as I say you're a fan. But regardless, you know, and I know, and anyone who watched the NFC East this year knows that Chase Young made a world of a difference for the Washington football team because having that kind of talent, having that kind of disruption at the defensive end position is, is monumental for a football team. And we have that in Barno, but what beyond that and what going forward? Because as you mentioned, he's not going to be around for long. And maybe Ricky's right. Maybe he is a mid-round guy. I think that depending on his performance this season, that can be pushed up. I think if a guy like Amari Barno has a fantastic season this year for Virginia Tech, if he continues to improve at the rate that he's been improving over the course of his college career, NFL teams are going to look at that and say, well, I wonder what we can do with this guy. Regardless, he's gone. And what's left is a makeshift group of guys that are either not that talented or trying to transition into a new position. And for Virginia Tech in the long term, you better hope that some defensive end, and this is assuming that the Foo crew or whoever is still at the helm, you're going to need to attack that transfer portal in the future once Amari Barno leaves and pray that he doesn't get injured during the season because the depth is just simply not there. That being said, Wooten actually contributed last year to some degree on the field. Bryant did not, and from what I have heard, was not trending in a position where he was about to contribute for Virginia Tech on the two deep in 2021. That is just what I have heard. I trust my source. But it, that's interesting to me because he was the guy that was really hyped up coming in. And Andrew, you you mentioned the transfer portal. And for those who haven't seen it yet, the Athlon preview of Virginia Tech has been out. And um, there was a comment in there. Obviously, it's an anonymous quote, but I think it rings true. And, you know, it, it said something to the effect of once you start living off the transfer portal, that's kind of the the early warning sign that you're not bringing talent sufficient to run your program effectively. And Virginia Tech has been living off the transfer portal now for the last three cycles. And it's not, it, it's not that they're supplementing guys, and it's not that they're you know, bringing in transfers to be a backup, but they're bringing in transfers in hopes that these guys are going to play critical roles on the football team. And programs that are consistently successful, con in emphasis on consistent, on consistently, those programs don't do that. And tech is living off the transfer portal much, much more than I think anyone would have envisioned when we saw the transfer portal becoming as, as much of a factor as it's become. 
Yeah, because it's been a factor at every school, but the difference I think with Virginia Tech is that they haven't recruited well and these guys need to have And they're not developing well either. That's the other thing is that once you get into a lot of these mid-level three-star guys, they're relatively close, but your your evaluations aren't there and you're not developing the guys that you are bringing in. Right, and the biggest difference between three-stars and four-stars is that you can have a bunch of mid-tier three-star recruits and they're all about the same regardless of what their ranking is. You can have a guy on, on, you know, two, four, seven sports. Who's, uh, you know, got a 0.84 three-star rating and a guy who's got a 0.87 three-star rating. The, the margin between the types of three-star players is pretty, is pretty thin, but the margin between a three-star and a four-star type player and that jump and the type of athlete that you're getting is pretty significant and the the rankings and the composite rankings bear that out and the thing about recruiting for virginia tech is they just haven't done it consistently enough the last three years consistently well enough the last three years especially in the state of virginia the thing that's interesting the the one aspect i wanted to bring up that i didn't with my original point about the four top guys transferring out in the 2020 class not a single one of those players was from the state of virginia um, Justin Beatles was from Georgia, I believe. Wooten and Bryant, both from Texas. Tyree Saunders from Florida. Now, Virginia Tech has had success recruiting Georgia and Florida over the years, um, dating back to when it was Bud Foster and Charlie Wiles, and they did pretty well in the Southeast. But that was at a time, well, and that was at a time, too, when Virginia Tech was performing very well in states. You were bringing in talent from other places to supplement the guys you were bringing into the recruiting class from the state of Virginia. The issue now, um, well, not necessarily right now with this re- current recruiting class, but the issue with that 2020 class is that they weren't winning with the kids in the state of Virginia. They didn't do that in 2020, and they didn't do that very well last year. They're doing a better job with the 2022 class and bring in guys from the state of Virginia and then supplementing with some out-of-state guys. That's how it should have been all along. And I think the staff's inability to realize that the last few years is what's put Virginia Tech in this spot that they're in right now where they now have depth problems because they have been unable to consistently recruit, number one. And number two, they've lost even the top guys from those weaker classes to the transfer portal. And I think that could end up really hurting them if they have some injuries to key positions this fall. Yeah, I, I certainly am with you on that, Mike. I mean, the, and as Ricky said, the transfer portal is not a sustainable way to do things. And, and w- the way that this 2020 class is shaping out, it, it certainly spells disaster. And, and yes, the recruiting has ramped up to a degree. And yes, we are going to talk about that in, in short time here. Uh, we don't want to stick to the negative, but ultimately it, it, this is a situation that seems to have gone with these 2020 and I guess maybe it's too early to make a judgment on the 2021 class. Things seem to have gone from bad to worse. And for a coach in Justin Fuente, who is on thin ice, no doubt about it, this has got to be a worrisome sign. It is. I mean, you Talent acquisition is a large part of running a program in any sport. Um, In college football, as the head coach, that that is so important because you don't have a general manager that's acquiring talent for you. It's up to you to go evaluate these guys. And um, 
they just haven't evaluated properly. They haven't recruited well enough to the guys that they are evaluating on, and they're just not hitting. And then the guys that they do hit on, they're not developing at a high enough clip. Um, you can't fail in all three of those categories and expect to have a team that is well-rounded and deep enough to last for an entire, you know, 12 to 13 game season. So um, we can go ahead and, and start to talk about this 2022 class, which again, I want to remind everyone it's July. Uh, th- there's, there's a lot of time between now and signing day. And I, I hate to be the, you know, the, the Debbie Downer Eeyore over here, but <laughs> there's there's definitely room for this class to not shape up the way that it's shaping up right now. Um, so, but, and, and, and that's why, I, again, I talked about it's, it seems like things are getting better. There, there are signs that things are improving, um, especially when you bring in a guy like Ramon Brown, we have to see if he signs, um, but it's just, it, it it's not an encouraging sign. And unfortunately, until you lock down a really good class, uh, relatively speaking, uh, which right now 247 has Virginia Tech 16th in the country, that would be really good if they finish in that range. Um, they won't. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's what I'm trying to tell people is that it's, it's July. Like, so many things are going to change. This class yeah. is not going to look the way it does now in December. And all of these other programs are going to have full classes by then. Yeah. That's um, the biggest thing. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. It's like, so, so it, it's so volatile right now. And um, I, I, I think it's important for people on both sides of the, of the, of the divide that is Virginia tech fan base right now to understand that is that if you're, if you're ardently pro Justin Fuente, you have to realize that there's a lot of room for this class to fall apart. We've seen it before. It's happened way too many times, not just at Virginia Tech, but other programs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on the flip side, if you are in the ardent anti-Fuente category, you have to at least give some credence to the fact that they have been able to bring in a higher quality of player relative to where they have been. Um, The, the Virginia tech that was recruiting, you know, 18 months ago would not have been able to commit Ramon Brown. They just wouldn't. Um, They may not even be able to get a guy, get a guy like Xavier Simmons. Um, So things are trending emphasis on trending in the right direction but recruiting is exceptionally volatile and that's why i'm not getting worked up anymore when virginia tech gets a commitment from a big prospect because until i see the ink on there i'm not i'm not i'm not buying it and then even when i do see the ink on there i gotta see him produce because they can just leave my my thing here is that even if virginia tech lands you know, some of the top targets that are remaining, right? Um, Gunnar Gibbons is a big one. He commits this Friday. Virginia Tech has been sitting in a good spot with him for a while, but they're going up against Penn State. And Penn State has stolen a lot of recruits in the recent years. Penn State's the better program, Tech. hands they're down. The better pro- they're the better program right now. Absolutely. Um, but as much as it hurts me to say that, I, mean, I'm, I, do not right. like, I do not like Penn State. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, you're right. They are, they're better. <laughs> you're right. Um, 
And this Gunnar Gibbons thing is significant because there's another recruit. And again, each recruit and each individual situation has to be viewed in a separate lens because each individual situation is different. But there's another top recruit Virginia Tech is after. He's a four-star cornerback from Florida, Cam Miller. He's also down to Virginia Tech and Penn State. I know they play two different positions, but a defensive back committing to Penn State over Virginia Tech, if Virginia Tech were to grab Gunnar Givens on the offensive line, right, he chooses Virginia Tech over Penn State, you know that Gunnar Givens is going to put some pressure on Cam Miller to say, hey, look, like Virginia Tech's putting defensive backs in the NFL. You want to come play here, right? And he's also down between Virginia Tech and Penn State. That's going to put Penn State in a pretty precarious situation. Gunnar Givens is going to be recruiting him extra hard. This is a big shoe to drop just outside of Gunnar Givens himself, right? He's a big, big time recruit, a huge offensive line guy that Virginia Tech absolutely needs, especially with some of the guys that we've seen leave with Doug Nestor and Brian Hudson, um, losing Christian Derrissaw to the draft. Like there's some holes, both starting and from a depth standpoint, moving forward that Virginia Tech. The numbers are not there right now. And the numbers are not there right now. Um, So Gunnar Givens is a big shoe to drop. Cam Miller would be pretty significant significant to get him but even absent of all of that the reason why Virginia Tech is ranked 16th right now is because they have 18 guys committed to their class already and the bigger thing for me is not whether or not Virginia Tech keeps these guys in the boat that's part of the storyline but the bigger deal regardless of if Virginia Tech keeps these guys or not is that Virginia Tech's not going to finish with a top 20 class they could get some of these four-star guys to commit, which would be great, and the staff needs to have that happen. Again, it's a two-prong issue. you got to solve recruiting. you got to solve on-the-field stuff, right? And they go hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, but Virginia Tech could have all their top guys that they're after that are high three-star and four-star guys. They could have all those guys commit and still not finish with the top 20 class because Virginia Tech is probably only going to take like eight or nine more recruits, right, at the high end. They could end up with like, you know, in the in the 25 to 28 recruit range potentially. And the issue is that there are other classes, other teams out there, right, that have, you know, recruiting classes that haven't been filled yet. And some of the top guys in the country, five-star recruits, have not committed yet, right? Guys have not committed to Alabama or Florida or Georgia or Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Um, and Ohio State and Notre Dame have two of the top classes in the country right now. But there are guys that they're still after that haven't committed yet. Just, so, to, just to, uh, like a, you know, to explain what you're talking about, teams that are currently behind Virginia Tech in the team ranking include USC, Florida, Clemson, Wisconsin, North Carolina, um, there are there are legitimate programs that recruit ahead of Virginia Tech every year that are way behind. Right. Um, um, that will and jump. It, and a majority of those that you named will jump Virginia Tech. Um, and so just fans need to understand that even if Virginia Tech gets some of their top targets, which we all, of course, hope that they do and gets them to stay in the boat. They could still have a class that finishes in that 25 to 30 range, which again would be an improvement over the last two years. It would essentially put Virginia Tech back to where they were recruiting under Frank Beamer and in the early years of Justin Fuente, which again, step in the right direction. But I think fans are going to want even more than that, given how the team has performed on the field. So it's just something to keep in mind.
So the way I look at it is twofold. Number one, if you are in the incredibly anti-Fuente crowd and you look at a commit like Ramon Brown, and I'll just run through this right now for those that might not know. Right now, the class has 18 commits so far. 17 of them are three stars. One of them is a four-star. That four-star being Ramon Brown, the four-star running back from the Richmond area. It breaks down with six recruits from Virginia, three from Georgia, two from Texas, two North Carolina, two Pennsylvania, a guy from Maryland, and a guy from South Carolina. By all accounts, compared to what we've seen over the last two years, this is an improvement. The staff's ability to go into the 804 and get the commitment of a guy like Ramon Brown, which, as Ricky said, nothing matters until the pen hits the paper. And in reality, in college football in 2021, you don't even know how long the guy is going to stay. The transfer portal is a thing. I don't want to project too far because we have to look at this as it is at the moment. And I don't want to poo-poo you, Ricky, because you are the one that correctly stated about 14 months ago when me and Mike got all hype over the Demetrius Davis commit that this seems fishy. This doesn't make any sense. Why is this guy so locked in this? When a better opportunity arose, he took it. With that being said. That, that, that one, I think, was kind of the, the, the tipping point, I think, for yeah. – I know it was for me. That was the that was definitely the tipping point for me. I think that after that situation, I'll never view recruiting in the same lens that I used to. But that being said, picking up a guy like Ramon Brown, that's improved. That's improved. And, and the naysayers might say, well, Virginia Tech should be getting four-star guys from Virginia like clockwork. That's what we've done throughout the moderate recent history. Hey, Andrew, Andrew, sure they should. But these guys would be complaining if they weren't getting those guys, you know? And, and, and that's exactly right. And so what I'm saying is the reality is that this program over the course of the last two seasons and really even the course of the last four seasons, because when recruiting was good under Fuente, that was primarily happening in the great state of North Carolina. And what happened since then? Mac Brown happened. Larry Fedora is gone. North Carolina can recruit their own state now. That pipeline was cut off like Joe Biden cut off the Keystone XL pipeline in early 2020. There it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to do that. But regardless, you can't, <laughs> you can't as naysayers look at progress and look at improvement and just complain about it because the only way things get better is progressively. I hate to give the people a news flash, but we're not going to the ACC championship tomorrow. And if that's ever going to happen again, it's going to happen in a progressive way insofar as the same way that Dabo Sweeney rebuilt Clemson. It's easy to fall off quickly. It's not easy to get back to the top like that. It happens as a slow progression. So you can look at a signing like Ramon Brown and take it as a step in the right direction without complaining. On the other side, if you are an adamant pro Fuente defender, you can't look at the signing of Ramon Brown and say, all is well, look at this. We did this. No, there is a higher standard. What you're doing is scratching the surface of our previous expectation. And that, and again, it's a good thing to scratch that surface when you were a mile away from it before, but there's still work to be done. And as Ricky mentioned, there's still plenty of time that remains. So Virginia Tech is and has to be in a successful world a developmental program where you take those 17 three stars and you find six of them that are actually worth a damn and you turn them into the kind of player that can be a all ACC player at some level that can get their look at the NFL draft or better. We saw it with Caleb Bartley. We saw it with Dalton Keaton. We saw it 
obviously with Christian Derrissa, it can happen. This coaching staff has the ability to develop players like that, and they're going to have to if this team's going to be successful. But we also saw last year a team that with ample talent failed to meet expectations, and a lot of that falls on the coaching staff. So you have to take these events individually and say thumbs up when things go well, but know that there's still work to be done. And I think people want to either close the book one way or another that this coaching administration is a disaster, which I I think that the fact that he's still here precludes us from doing that. There are still seasons to be played. And yes, you might be fighting an uphill battle because of everything that we've mentioned before with the previous recruiting classes, but take the good news as good news, but don't blow it through the top of your brain and say that every single one of our problems has been solved because I look at Virginia Tech as a football program and say, well, we got issues and (laughs) there's more questions. than There are answers at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, it's been that way for three plus years and um, it, it wears on your fandom. Like it's, it's tough to just constantly, like anytime you think about your, your football program, it's hard when the things that pop to your mind the most are, geez, can't, can't recruit Virginia. Geez, we stopped recruiting in, in North Carolina, like we were early on in the, um, in the, the Justin Fuente era. Oh, geez, we can't develop guys. Oh, geez, we've got, you know, five plus players in the portal every year. And they're not just, um, you know, guys who can't make the two deep. Some guys are in the two deep that are transferring out. I mean, it's just, it's one hit after another. And it's been a a relatively good summer in the sense that, you know, tech has been able to start the process of acquiring better talent. Um, Obviously notwithstanding the, the Issy Atuti stuff and, you know, the Wooten and Bryant stuff, but, from a football perspective, it, it hasn't been a bad summer for Virginia Tech. Now there's still time for it to get better or get worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there there's been a lot more questions than answers, and who knows how long that's going to stay like that. Yeah, my my thing too is that you know Fuente made his bed with this whole thing in my opinion, when he elected a few years ago, when Virginia Tech was rolling through North Carolina and Fedora was on the hot seat, he elected to just kind of pull the troops out of that state, so to speak. Like when Mac Brown showed up, he put the fence up and Fuente led him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Fuente absolutely. and his staff led him. And, you know, Fuente has not recruited Virginia well the entirety of his time here, short of Devin Hunter and Ramon Brown and a couple others, Virginia tech has not been too successful in the state of Virginia and Ramon Brown's not even signed yet. Right. Nope. And like being able to go into North Carolina, which is a neighboring state, which is way different than going to Texas, being able to go into a neighboring state and have the success of Virginia tech had recruiting in the state of North Carolina, and then just kind of rolling over when Mac Brown arrived, that was weak. That was weak by Fuente and the staff. I know it's not that easy to to just continue recruiting at a high clip, but they could be doing a lot better than they're doing. Dude, even in N- North Carolina. NC to VT is dead. Like 
you don't you don't see that messaging out at all anymore. No. I don't um, remember the last time I saw an NC to VT message from the official accounts or any of the coaches. I mean, yeah, that was their bread and butter for for two two cycles. Yeah, they were they were hammering that home, and they were making that message known. Um, it's it, it that message is dead. That message is gone. That yeah. that's in the trash. And I saw people, and I and I saw people reacting. You know, when the Bryant and Wooten news came out um, a few days ago, I saw people reacting on on social media, which is only part of the picture, of course. But I see the I see the messages out there. It's saying, "Oh, Virginia Tech should never recruit at Texas." No, that's that's not that's not the answer. The real answer is they should have recruited Virginia better. And then, if you lose a guy in the state of Texas, it ends up not being as big of a deal. That's how it, that should have happened having Texas be the linchpin of a class when you're a thousand plus miles away is not a sustainable practice. Um, Demetrius Davis, and I fell victim to this at the time, but when Demetrius Davis was committed to Virginia tech, I was thinking, okay, well, Virginia tech's in a really strong position. Two, four, seven sports wrote as much, right? Brian Doan said, Virginia Tech's on the midst of a recruiting search. You remember when he wrote that art, he wrote that article last April. Well, and, and you know, well, here's here's something else up that I'm going to say that may not make people very happy. Some of these people who claim to be in the know don't know a darn thing. They're guessing. They're guessing. And as a consumer of media, it is up to you, and I'm talking to the, list, the listeners now, it's up to you to determine who is – who is giving you an honest perspective and who's just blowing smoke up, up your rear. Okay. And I'm, I'm saying that as someone who has bought into stuff like that before, I'm not, I'm not uh, innocent of this. I've, I have, I've bought it hook, line and sinker plenty of times. Um, But we as consumers of media and as fans of the Virginia tech program, we have to start being a bit more careful about who we read and who we listen to so, because some people that cover this program or cover college football in general are just going to tell you what you want to hear. And you know what? They're full of shit. It, 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 that's just how it is. Sometimes they're not like that all the time, but sometimes they are. And uh, a lot of it's motivated by clicks and a lot of it's motivated by wanting more Twitter followers and, and trying to build clout on social media, but that's just how it is. And I think a lot of people are waking up to that. Um, but you know, that's it, it, And that's one of the reasons why I've become so frustrated with the recruiting industry in general, because all of these guys who claim to be scouts and they write these scouting profiles on 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 prospects it's some of the worst written stuff i've ever seen i mean it's actually it's actually really hard to read there's no actual insight to it at all um and then you you watch these guys play and the scouting report does not translate to on the field so just be careful about what you consume as as a as a media consumer just be careful about what you read what you listen to what you watch and Keep your keep your BS meter on at all times. So here's how I would look at it. And this just 
relates to the Texas to Virginia Tech movement or lack thereof and, and all things surrounding it. In life, we have a finite amount of time and a finite amount of resources, right? I mean, for instance, in, in my job at my radio station, we sell advertising. That's how we make money. For those of you that don't know that, unless you have a paywall on something, that is how money is made in the world of media. And <laughs> our staff has- and You're out here giving Econ 101. <laughs> sign up for my Substack on media- Yes, we need we need the Andrew Alex Substack. But we have a finite amount of time to sell advertising here. Now you have to look at your potential clients, the people that you're trying to sell to. Now I could look at someone in Pulaski or someone in Rowan, and I would say, okay, well there is a there is a chance that these people could, realistically speaking, buy advertising, and, and it would benefit them, of course. But it would take me 45 minutes to get there. It would take me 45 minutes to get back from either Pulaski or Rona. And these are people that I wouldn't have the in-town relationships that I do with a guy like, say, Dr. Jeremy Counts at Main Street Pharmacy, who I know on a, on a very personal basis. And through guys like Dr. Jeremy Counts, I am able here in Blacksburg to connect with people all over the local business world. I can always say, if you don't know me, you know this person. In Pulaski or Roanoke, it doesn't work like that. So if I were to spend all of my time in Pulaski or Roanoke trying to sell advertising at a lesser clip, I might not have as much success because the intrinsic things, the, the intrinsic values of Blacksburg in terms of the connectability and the Chamber of Commerce membership, the connections that I have would not be there. And we only have a certain amount of hours in a day. So what you would say, if I was doing that all, my, all the time, and if what the general manager of the radio station would say, if I or anyone who works here was spending all their time in Pulaski and Roanoke is saying, you are wasting it. You are wasting it. So for Virginia Tech, Yes, you can go down to Texas, and I'm not going to tell you not to, because we've seen that, yes, you, you can get, I mean, the number one slot receiver potentially on the 2021 squad is a 2021 Texas commit. I'm not going to say that's a bad thing, but if you're centering your entire recruiting profile, your entire program identity around a recruiting estate thousands, a thousand miles away, well, that just doesn't make sense. That's a waste of time. So going back to going back to Virginia, going back to, and as Ricky said, the state of North Carolina might be toast, but you can try. At least it's not a monumental waste of time and resources. You can do that. But as a staff, you need to think about that 300-mile radius from Virginia Tech. And that's something that's talked about a lot in the world of college football recruiting. That 300-mile radius is your hotspot. That's your golden zone. And Virginia Tech got away from that, and we've seen them pay for it, not only in the classes that they've signed, but a guy like, and of course, James Mitchell's from around the block and down the corner, but he's someone who's going to have more emotional connection to the university, to the area, than say a guy like Tyree Sanders or Alec Bryant. And these coaches have to consider that, and, and it looks like they have. The question is, is it too little too late? Yep, and we won't know until, you know, the season starts and we see how this team is going to perform in the field because ultimately Justin Fuente has to buy himself some time, I feel like. I think he's got to... He's already bought himself some time, Rick. 
How often do you hear of an athletic director coming out with a press conference about why he didn't fire the coach? Well, yes, um, but as Mike mentioned earlier, I th- if if Tech puts up another season like they did last year, I, I it's done. I don't. It's I don't done. see how he can sell that to the donors. No, nah, it's done. And I mean, and he, the thing about it too is that when Witt kind of came out of nowhere and said he was keeping Fuente, and I said on this podcast, I, I wrote about it, I said on the radio, in my opinion, when you make that decision, that means that, okay, I'm going to stick with him for not just one year. I'm going to stick with him for a couple years because number one, Virginia tech needed to get their finances in order on the back end, which rumors were flying around that Virginia tech was going to find a way to pay the buyout if they needed to. Right. And it was a astronomical buyout for Fuente and it goes down with every year that he sticks around, but you know, Virginia tech's got to do this balancing act now with the donors. And there was a big push for the facilities and there's been this huge fundraising effort now over the past five or six months and you know a lot of really good things have been happening in the athletic department that is going to benefit the football program over the long haul but when Whit Babcock said I'm keeping Justin Fuente and he comes out and says it's year one Babcock tied his legacy to Fuente and if he rides it out with Fuente for too long Virginia Tech's football program could be set back years like years and years and years. Um, and it's my opinion that if Fuente were to go like eight and four, does Babcock have the guts to pull the trigger with that winning record? And it's not what Virginia Tech fans expect, but if he stuck with him after five and six, if he stuck with him after two losing seasons in three years, if he stuck with him after poor recruiting, is he ready to pull the trigger if Fuente goes eight and four this fall. No, I don't think he has the guts to do that. And that's not me calling with Babcock gutless. I think he's got an outstanding athletic director. That's not where I'm, that's not my angle here. I'm what not I'm even saying, sure that I would, I would support that. Because if Virginia tech were to go eight and four on the field and Virginia tech were to sign a recruiting class that ended up in that 20 to 25 range, Babcock can then go back to the donors and say, wait a minute. He had one losing season a few years ago. Last year was really weird with COVID. There was not a real off season. We lost a bunch of guys to, to illness during the season. It got weird. He just went eight and four. We lost a couple tough games and our recruiting class is looking really good. And we got all these facilities now that are, you know, we got a top of the line student athlete performance center and the weight room got renovated and the locker rooms getting renovated and the meeting rooms, you know, we can, we can now show the recruits, the meeting rooms, which they were hiding from recruits before like they can start to say, look, we're making some progress here and maybe he is the guy. A lot of ifs there, but I think if Fuente wins eight games, I think that's the line. Seven and five, I don't think, seven and five, I think he, he's gone. Because I don't think, I don't think, I don't think Virginia Tech's athletic department, I think they'll be patient, but I don't think they'll be that patient, Right. Because that would be the was that the third time in four years Virginia Tech's won seven games or less, and sure. I just don't think the donors would be good with that. I don't think the athletic department would be good with that. If he wins eight or he wins nine, he's he's safe, in my opinion. 
but we'll see. There's there's a lot of elements at work here, and it's not going to be easy to even win seven, in my opinion, given the depth issues we've talked about that we'll get into more as the season gets closer. Because it's not just defensive end; it's it's quarterback, it's it's receiver, <laughs> it's offensive line. Like Virginia Tech's got top talent, like top end, like returning starter talent at receiver, but they don't have the depth, the at least proven depth. Offensive line don't have proven depth. Quarterbacks certainly don't have proven depth. Don't even have division one depth at quarterback and defensive end. I, it got worse this week. So a lot of questions. All right. Just start September 3rd. Yep. I mean, we are, we are running short on time, but I want to talk real quickly because we haven't had the chance to talk about it. Tyrese Radford enters the transfer portal. No real announcement out of Radford personally at this point. Some hoping that he might end up returning to Virginia Tech. I'm not too cute in on this. What do you guys think? So Dave Scarangella, who's a friend of the pod, personal friend of mine, uh, write for him at DallasDistrict.com. Uh, go read there. We have all sorts of stuff. Uh, Dave was clued in on this right off the rip. He, he, he smelled that it was fishy. Um, and shortly after Radford announced that he was transferring um, or that it came out that Radford was transferring, uh, Radford ended up with court dates <laughs> um, related to uh, probation, I believe. So sounds like something didn't go well with what he was doing um, in regards to his um, suspended sentence. Um, and I think that, I think that explains it. Um, Cause part of the, the, the justification for bringing him back so quickly last year was okay. Um, he's handling this like an adult. He's been contrite. He's been mature. Uh, he doesn't have a history of this. Um he is in the process of handling it. Let's go ahead and, 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 and clear him to come back. And it's clear now that his stuff is not cleared up. Um, and, you know, I, I, we don't know exactly what he told Mike Young, but at a certain point, there's a trust factor that you lose when the coach goes to bat for you, the program goes to bat for you and you kind of fall on your face. So from a, a basketball standpoint, it sucks. I, I, I read something that, you know, Tyrese Radford leaving would, would open up things for Virginia Tech's offense. I think that is an awful take. Um, losing someone like Tyrese Radford, his ability to score in clutch situations, his ability to get to the rim, his toughness, his on-court leadership. It's, I don't think there's anyone on the floor that can really rep uh, replace it. Um, so it's, it's a huge loss. I think I, I, I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat this. I don't think there's any way to, um, try and tell everyone it's going to be okay. Tech's going to have a very hard time trying to replace him on the floor. Cause what he does is, is very unique. Yeah. I agree with everything Ricky said. So I'll keep it brief. Virginia Tech had a <laughs> sweet 16 elite eight type ceiling with the team they're bringing back next year. You don't have that anymore if you lose Tyrese Radford. From what I understand with the Radford situation, the court stuff is why he's in the portal. If it gets cleared up, he still has a spot. If it doesn't, he 
doesn't for obvious reasons have a spot anymore because Mike Young in the program went to bat for him. So TBD, <laughs> but he's still in the portal for right now. So that's all we can speak on. All right, gentlemen, well, I will echo everything you just said on that subject. And that's going to wrap it up for us here in the Hokie. Real quick, real quick, Andrew, shout out Mike Young and contract extension. Oh, yeah, don't have a ton to say there, but we've been rocking and rolling for like an hour yeah. and here. So <laughs> I figured we just cut that one, but yes, we are happy about Mike Young. Good man. But other than that, my friends, we are going to wrap it up. The podcast will appear on a more consistent basis from here on out. I am excited about that. I hope our listeners are excited about that. And just remember, we couldn't do it without our friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Shout out Dr. Jeremy Counts. Ricky, anything to say to the people as we head out, other than the fact that our boy Cedric Mullins started in the All-Star game? Uh, Trey Mancini is an absolute god. Um, He is quickly becoming one of my favorite athletes ever. Rate, review, subscribe, um, share it with your buddies. Like Andrew said, we're going to be really hitting the the pavement over the next several weeks as the season gets close. Uh, this is a big season for the program, but it's an even bigger season, I think, for our podcast. Um, we've been at it now for this will be, what, our third season? You're three, baby. Yeah, so the, it, the, I, I think we really are a good podcast. We have a really good group of listeners. Um, this is an important season for all, all parties involved, but, um, and Mike, again, congrats. That's freaking awesome. So happy for you. Thank you. And buddy. Glad to have you back. Uh, glad that we decided to wait until after you got back from Maui. Me too. I'm, I'm <laughs> more well-rested now. <laughs> and you, and you have your manhood still. I do. I do. Boy. I'm still here. <laughs> All right, folks, well, that's going to wrap it up for us. Hoagie Hangover Podcast, rate, review, subscribe. We'll be back next week with, I guess we're going to just have to start previewing the season position by position, whatever it takes, we will do it. So until then, enjoy your weekend, my friends. And as always, go Hokies. <laughs> <laughs>